Let's consider God's word. From Genesis chapter 3, we'll be reading the entirety of the chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the, women, to the woman, Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But, when the, but the Lord God called to the, to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is God's word. 
Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, what a tragic story this is. The introduction of sin into the world. I pray, Lord God, that we would see the glimmers of hope embedded in this story, written thousands and thousands of years ago. And we pray, Lord God, that as we think about our fallen nature and our fallen condition, you would bring to mind the grace of, uh, that you have shown us in Jesus, the second Adam, our Savior and our King. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? What's wrong with me? Why did you say that? Why did you do that? What was I thinking? Why did I have that second piece of pie? I was full. I didn't need that second piece of pie. What's wrong with the world out there? How do we explain things like sickness and death? How do we explain things like addiction and abuse? How do we explain things like decay and disease? Now, however we answer these questions, I think we can all agree that something is wrong. The way the world is, is not the way the world should be. Now, if you were to ask some of the leading psychologists and psychiatrists and therapists of the world, they would say that the problem is in here, in us, in our hearts. It's a you problem. And so, we need self-help and self-confidence and self-discipline and self-care. You need to change you from the inside out. If you were to ask many leading sociologists, they would say that the problem is an out-there problem. The problem is that you are a member of a group, and that group has been victimized by another group, and so it's not really anything that's wrong with you, it's all about them. If we could just stop them from victimizing us, then the world would change from the outside in. What do Christians say? What does the Bible say? Well, according to the Bible, it's not as easy as an out-there problem or an in-here problem. It's much more complicated than that. The problem with the world is sin. Sin is both individual and systemic. It's not just us, and it's not just them. It's us, and it's them. It's us in the sense that we are sinners who need God's grace. It's them in the sense that we have been sinned against. The problem is the whole world is broken because of sin. Human beings need God. Human beings have rejected God. And so what do we do? If the world is broken because of sin, because of our rebellion against God, is there any way to make things right again? Can the problem be fixed? And if we can't fix it, who can? That's what this Advent serv serv series and sermon is all about. You know, when we look at Christmas, when we think we need the lights and the sounds and the smells and the, the Christmas tree and the gift, we think that we just need to put an end to the dumpster fire that has been 2020 so we can move on to the next new year and, and start over again. But here's what we really need. We need Christmas with the Savior. In Matthew 1, verse 21, we, we read, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people 
from their sins. He will save us from the presence of sin. He will save us from the power of sin. He will save us from the penalty of sin. That's what we're going to talk about today. A three-letter word that most of us don't associate with Christmas at all. Sin. That's, that's what Christmas is all about. Jesus coming to save his people from their sin. So what is sin? Where does it come from? And how does Jesus save us from our sins? What does that mean? Well, this morning as we think about sin we're gonna, and our need of a Savior, we're going to examine one of the most famous chapters in the whole Bible, Genesis chapter 3. And as we do, I want us to consider three things that Genesis 3 tells us about sin. First, we're going to consider the, the causes of sin. Second, we're going to consider the consequences of sin. And then finally, we're going to consider the conqueror of sin. So the causes of sin, the consequences of sin, and finally, the conqueror of sin. What is wrong with you? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with the world? How does God fix it? Let's take a closer look. First, we're going to consider the causes of sin. Now, in the opening verses of Genesis chapter 3, we see that sin is an outward rejection of God's word, which flows from an inward rejection of God's authority. We reject God's word on an external level because we have rejected God's authority at an internal level. The great Christian theologian Augustine once said that our actions flow from our affections. In other words, we do what we love. And so, if you want to know, why do I do the things that I do? Why do I say the things that I say? Why do I believe the things that I believe? We have to go back to the root cause and the root question, what do I love? Do I love God? Do I love acceptance? Do I love security? Do I love comfort? Do I love control? Our affections are driving our actions. Now, with that in mind, let's see how Adam and Eve rejected both the person and work of God. The first thing we see is that Adam neglected God's word. He neglected his God-given responsibility in Genesis chapter 2, God gave Adam three responsibilities. He told Adam, you have three things, three commands that you are required to keep. You are to work the garden. You are to keep or guard the garden. And finally, you are to not eat the forbidden fruit. That's it. Three commandments, three responsibilities. And so the question is, did Adam fulfill his responsibilities? The answer is absolutely not. He did not. Was Adam, was, when the serpent showed up, Adam wasn't working in the garden. We don't know exactly what he was doing. He appears to be just standing there. Maybe he was taking a, a break or taking a nap or doing something else. But whatever it was, he wasn't working. When the serpent showed up in the garden, he wasn't keeping the garden. He wasn't protecting it. He wasn't guarding it. He wasn't keeping the, the serpent away. He was totally passive. He was inert. The serpent slithered right up to Eve, started a conversation with her, and Adam's sitting there as if nothing's happening at all. Now, men, I want to point out that I think this is a huge, huge temptation for all of us. I think that all of us, 
have a tendency to be passive. I think that all of us, as men, have a tendency to neglect our roles as husbands, as fathers, and as churchmen because we neglect God's word. When the serpent showed up in the, in the garden, Adam should have chased him away. And when the serpent shows up in our church and in our families and in our relationships, we too should chase him away. And we can only do that if we know our calling. And we can only know our calling if we know God's word. And we can only know God's word if we spend time in God's word. If we read God's word and study God's word and sit underneath the preaching of God's word, the serpent is a liar. He's a poisonous snake. He wants to poison us. He wants to poison our families. He wants to poison our church, our world. I implore you, men, consider your God-given calling. All of you, consider your God-given calling. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't neglect, as Adam did, God's word. The second thing that we see is that Eve questioned God's word. Now, what was the first thing the serpent said? What was his leading line when he approached Eve? Did God really say? Did God really say that you can't eat of, of that, that fruit, the forbidden fruit? Did God really say that that is forbidden to you? Why would God say that? Are you sure God loves you? Are you sure that God has your best interests at heart? Are you sure you can trust him? Are you sure that he doesn't have ulterior motives? Now, the serpent wasn't asking for information. He knew exactly what God said. What he was doing was inviting skepticism. And Eve accepted the invitation now, Eve is singled out in this particular instance, but I think we all struggle with this at some level. I think we all struggle at some level with spiritual insecurity. I think we all wonder at some level, does God really love me? When God says that we should live a certain way, when God says we should keep his commandments, we wonder, does God have my best interests at heart? Is he really telling me this because he loves me and he wants me to experience the joy and abundance of everlasting life with him? Or are his commands a straitjacket? Is he trying to control me or manipulate me or get me to do something that I don't really want to do? And so, like Eve, we question God's word. Did God really say, does God really love me? Can we trust him? The third thing we see is that Eve changed God's word. Listen to how Eve answered the serpent in verse 3. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, is that, is that what God said? Almost. It's very, very close. God did, in fact, say that you cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is absolutely true. But he did not say you may not touch the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it's a very subtle distinction. It's a very subtle change. But when it comes to God's word, little changes make a huge difference. 
whether we're adding to God's word or taking away from God's word, once we change God's word, it is no longer God's word. It's our word. Now, we sometimes do this in very uh, subtle ways. We sometimes do this in very obvious, not-so-subtle ways. But we do this in order to undermine God's authority. Again, sometimes we do it very blatantly. We simply say, I know what the Bible says, and I just don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live the way that I want to live. I think many of us do it much more subtly by simply ignoring or skipping over the parts of the Bible that make us feel uncomfortable because they challenge our deepest held ideas about who we are and who God is and how God would have us live. Whether we try to change God's word in order to justify our sin like Eve did here, whether we try to change God's word in order to receive the approval and acceptance of the world represented here, by Satan in the garden, whenever we do this, we're playing with fire. We're opening Pandora's box. We're inviting chaos and disorder into our world because that's what always happens when human beings try to establish their own authority by undermining God's authority. The fourth thing we see here is that Adam and Eve together rejected God's word. In the end, both Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit. They explicitly rejected God's word, and in so doing, they completely rejected God. Because we cannot separate God's word from God's character. God's word is an expression of God's character. Now, why did they do it? What was going on in their hearts? What led them to completely disregard God's word? I think that they rejected God's word because in their hearts they had already rejected God's authority. I think the answer comes in verse 5 where Satan promises Eve, you will be like God. In other words, you will be equal with God. You'll be on even footing with God. You will know exactly what God knows and therefore God can't tell you what to do. You can make your own rules, you can live your own life, you can be your own authority completely apart from God. Now that's a lie, of course. The serpent is a liar, it never works, but this is always the goal when we sin. We sin because we want to be in control. We sin because we want to be in charge. We sin because we want to write our own rules apart from God. Now some people would call this self-centeredness. Some people would call this narcissism. The Bible calls it idolatry. But whatever we call it, we're talking about the same thing. If we inwardly reject God's authority, we will outwardly reject God's word. And if we outwardly reject God's word, we invite many, many unforeseen consequences into our lives. That's what we'll see next. The second thing we're going to consider is the consequences of sin. Sin is so destructive because it damages, often irreparably, our relationship with God and with other people. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Why did Adam and Eve, once they sinned, cover themselves? 
Why did they cover themselves with fig leaves? Why did they sew loincloths together? In a word, shame. They were ashamed. Once sin entered the world, they said, I can't let you see who I really am. I can't let you know me. I can't let you see the real me. The openness is gone. The transparency is gone. They're now living in a filtered Instagram version of reality. A photoshopped reality. Where they present the best version of themselves or none at all. All because of sin. Look what happens with their relationship with God. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So first, they hid themselves from one another. And then second, they hid themselves from the face of God. Why? Guilt. Guilt. They knew that they had sinned. They knew that they had broken God's command. And so, and they also knew that God is holy, that God is perfect, that he cannot tolerate sin. And so they said, if God sees me for who I really am, if he sees me as a sinner in his eyes, then he will reject me. He will punish me. He will kill me. He will cast me off forever. Later, we see more consequences. Later, God will tell Adam and Eve that sin affects families. Families are dysfunctional because of sin. There's pain in childbirth because of sin. He'll later tell Adam that sin affects work. Work is frustrating because of sin. Thorns and thistles and sweat and hustle and grind, that all happens because of sin. The penultimate consequence of sin is death. We read that in verse 19. For you are dust, he tells Adam, and to dust you shall return. If not for sin, there would be no death. If not for sin, we would live happy, fulfilled lives forever. The ultimate consequence of sin is damnation. The tree of life, which would have allowed Adam and Eve to, and all of us, to live forever with God in paradise, is now guarded by an angel with a flaming sword. Paradise has been lost. The question is, forever? Is that it? Is that the end of the story? What about Jesus? What about Christmas? The last thing we'll consider is the conqueror of sin, Jesus Christ. The conqueror of sin came to seek the lost. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Jesus calls to us, Where are you? Do you remember where you were when you heard that call? I do. Do you remember what you were doing when you heard that call? I was hiding, just like Adam and Eve. Were you? We don't have to seek the conqueror of sin. He seeks us. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The conqueror of sin is a son of Eve, but he's not a son of Adam. Verse 15, God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, Satan, and her offspring, Eve. 
Now, how can someone be a son of Eve, but not a son of Adam? How can someone be, have an earthly mother, Eve, but not an earthly father? Matthew 1.20. But as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Thousands and thousands of years before the very first Christmas, in Genesis 3, we have a prediction of the virgin birth. Praise God. Jesus, the conqueror of sin, will crush the serpent's head. Verse 15, he shall bruise your head. Now, I think that English word that we render bruise is a little bit weak. I think the way that we could translate this is he will, the conqueror of sin, Jesus, grind Satan's head into dust. Now that seems a little bit extreme, but where am I getting it? I'm getting it from Exodus chapter 32. You remember that story? When God, uh, Moses had gone up the mountain, he had uh, received the Ten Commandments, he comes down the mountain, he sees that the people have made a golden calf, and then we read this. Moses took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder. That's the same word. Bruise. Tachan. And so, Jesus will crush Satan. He will destroy Satan. He will grind him into powder. Jesus, the conqueror of sin, will be bruised as well. Verse 15. You, Satan, shall bruise his heel. This happened on the cross when Jesus died. On the cross... Jesus was crushed into powder because, not because of his own sin, but because of our sin. But note too that it is not his head which is crushed, it is his heel that is crushed. Meaning that Satan's victory was incomplete because Jesus rose again from the dead. Again, Genesis 3, we have the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amazing. Because of his victory over, over the serpent, we are clothed in dignity and honor. We are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. Verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. No more guilt. No more shame. Our first parents have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, who conquered sin forever and clothes us with honor and dignity and value and worth. Because of his victory over the serpent, we once again have access to the tree of life. This is how the story of mankind begins. Listen to how it ends. Revelation 22. 
Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Because of Jesus, we can live with God forever. Because of Jesus, the nations will be healed once more. Because of Jesus, everything that is wrong in this world will be made right again. And we will eat of the tree of life and live forever in glory with him. A new garden, a new paradise, the paradise of God. Many years ago, a London newspaper asked the great G.K. Chesterton to write an essay addressing the question, what's wrong with the world today? This was his reply. Dear sir, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. Why do we need Christmas? Why do we need a Savior? We need a Savior because we are sinners who need God's grace. We have been given a Savior because God is merciful to sinners and gives us grace that is greater than we could ever dream. We need a second Adam, someone who would reverse the curse. The first Adam was disobedient about a tree. And because he was, sin and death entered the world. The second Adam was obedient about a tree, the cross. And because he was, life has entered the world for all who believe. His tree of death, the cross, has become a tree of life for all who believe. Christmas reminds us that we need a Savior Christmas reminds us that we have a Savior, the Son of Eve, the Son of God. Let's go to him now in prayer. O Lord, our God, our great and merciful Savior, we thank you that you do not give us what we deserve because of our sin, but that even though we have rejected you in so many ways, you have accepted us because of Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, that you call us when we're hiding. We thank you, Lord God, that you receive us even though we are guilty of sin against you. I pray, Lord God, that in this Christmas season, you would unburden us, show us grace that is greater than our sin, for we pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.